Hi, you're up front with Richard Niles, and tonight I'm in a fever because I'm up front with band leader Benny Goodman and his golden girl, Peggy Lee. Before she became the swinging, bluesy, blonde bombshell with hits like Black Coffee and Fever, she got her start at the tender age of 19 singing with the King of Swing. Jazz was her, her dream, and that was what she wanted to be, was a jazz singer. And from the ocean a voice came back, was my blue jacket answering me. I think it's very hard for a human being to really put into words the magic that can occur when somebody like Peggy or Benny come before an audience. There's a certain chemistry, electricity, a message that they project that absolutely enthralls an audience. She contrasted very effectively with the Goodman band because she was soft and Benny was loud and the two kind of worked together. When she performed, each one of her lyrics became a, a soliloquy for her. I think he saw something of himself in Peggy Lee, and he certainly saw a good fit for his band. They were a, a great match from the, from the beginning. You know, Benny's music and Mother's music, that is the music that is never going to die. There's something about that era that people seem to want to go back to. We want to keep that flame going, too. You are to me everything My life to be Peggy's daughter, Nikki Lee Foster, with a heartfelt wish to keep her mother's music way up front. I don't think she need worry. As long as pop music looks back to the past for inspiration, Peggy Lee's legacy is assured. But all legends start with a real event. How did the 19-year-old Norma Eggstrom from Jamestown, North Dakota, meet the leader of the biggest band in the land? My mother was working in the Ambassador Hotel in Chicago in a room called the Buttery Room. And it was actually Benny's wife, Alice, that first heard about my mother and suggested that Benny come and hear my mother sing. You are everything I love. She said that the first time he heard her, that he looked like he was thinking about his taxes or something. He just, you know, uh, she couldn't imagine looking at his face while he was listening that he was, that he was enjoying what he was hearing. And it turned out, uh, she learned later on, that that's the way he looked no matter what he was listening to because he was always preoccupied with what he was listening to and, you know, preoccupied with the best way to run his band. He hired her on the spot. Stephanie Steinkreis is a New York music journalist and author of Gil Evans, Out of the Cool. 
Now, this kind of sounds a little dramatic, but apparently there was a little bit of dramatic business going on in his band because Helen Forrest was about to quit the band and he really needed another singer right away. Um, but apparently she, uh, Helen Forrest didn't leave yet and she sat on the bandstand while nervous little Peggy Lee had her first month of gigs and was really just thrust into the limelight right away. Singer, songwriter, and author, Jean Lees. Peggy, when she first went in there, had to sing the, the charts that had been written for Helen Forrest, which was not easy to do. Their, their voice pitches were not the same. So she had that problem of singing Helen Forrest's register. Helen Forrest certainly at that time had a bigger voice. She sang more full throat. She gave a ballad her all. You know, she was a m more mature singer with a lot more big band experience. So I think she just sang fuller out. Finally, he did have the arrangements changed and put in her key when, when he felt that she would work out. She felt like that was a great accomplishment when he had the arrangements rewritten. Well, the stars always winking and blinking above. What makes a fellow start thinking of falling in love? It's not the season, the reason is plain as the moon. It's just Elmer's tune. The first session Peggy had with the great Goodman, recording Elmer's tune, she was so nervous she almost lost the gig. But Benny's belief in her saw her through these first date jitters. Here's music writer Will Friedwald. John Hammond, who was Benny's record producer and Benny's brother-in-law, at different times Benny's kind of spiritual conscience. When uh, Hammond heard her sing for the first time, he kept yelling, she can't sing, Benny, she can't sing. And uh, they had this big row over Peggy Lee's talents, but Benny stuck to his guns and he said that this is the vocalist I want. And of course he proved to be right. I mean, within a few sessions, within a very short time, she became one of the best band vocalists that ever was. What makes a lady of 80 go out on the loose? Why does a gander meander in search of a goose? What puts a kick in a chicken, the magic in June? It's just Elmer's too. Lo and behold, she made it, you know, and I really think she worked through her nervousness. I think she kept thinking she was going to get fired every single night, you know, but in very short order, she uh, recorded Elmer's tune. She really, I think, fit right into the Goodman mold. It was a great, great experience for a young singer like her to get to work with such a fabulous band. It was actually Benny's pianist, Mel Powell, who got Peggy through that nervous recording session, teaching her the song and reassuring her that she belonged there right up front. Let's remember that Benny Goodman was a superb musician and an experienced band leader. That meant he had what today we'd call excellent people skills. It was his job to find talented people for his band. Keeping this in mind, it's not surprising that he saw Peggy's enormous potential. I could cry. David Haydu is a New York music author. When he first heard her, I don't think she was fully formed as a singer. She's Scandinavian from North Dakota. And she was originally named Norma Eggstrom. And I think the singer who Benny Goodman first heard was Norma Eggstrom. Uh, she wasn't yet Peggy Lee. Uh, she had a deep debt in those days to Billie Holiday and to another African-American singer named Lil Green. 
Now, that aspect, a combination of qualities, certainly appealed to Goodman, because what I'm describing is a white woman who sing, is singing like a black woman, or at least has a very deep debt to black singers and to the black style. And Goodman, of course, had the hardest uh, swinging of the white bands, uh, was declared the king of swing, of course, was of Jewish-American extraction himself. So I think he saw something of himself in Peggy Lee, and he certainly saw a good fit for his band. Jacobs first met Peggy Lee while working as a secretary at Decca Records. They became close friends when Jacobs uncle opened the Basin Street East nightclub in New York City. How long has this been going I personally think it was the fact that she sounded very much like a black jazz singer because Benny had a great adoration for the interpretation that the black musician and vocalist he loved you know that kind of free earthy quality in Peggy bluesy quality and Peggy had it Here in the early Peggy Lee, as opposed to the later Peggy Lee, was a sweetness. Uh, no, not as opposed to, because she still had it later on, but it was an unsophisticated sweetness. And later on, it was a very sophisticated sweetness. And I think that's what he must have heard. And she also had, like Sinatra had, a capacity to capture the inner emotional quality of a lyric beyond anyone I've ever heard. would almost become so completely involved with the lyric that it was almost part of her. It's like an actress that's taking a role. Every song that she had to perform, it was as if she were playing another part in a play of life. And she would assume the entire characteristic of the kind of character that would have to sing that song. She was that great an actress. She could do it. And it would, it would drain her. You could see her when she got off the stage, when she'd stopped recording, that it was just not coming out there and singing. It was portraying a role of, if it was, I got a bad at ain't good. She was a gal who was, her man done her wrong. You no, know, that's the way Peggy would do it. Never treats me.
was definitely part of her persona to draw you into a story as she was telling it. And I think that was part of the portrayal that she wanted you to become drawn into, listening to that story and finding out what happened to that person or that situation that was being told. That was the aura that was being created. There was a mystique about her on stage that she created when she came out that was very magical. I think she knew that intuitively. You know, to try and sing over a huge crowd of people who are loud and having a good time is not necessarily going to get their attention. But if you're telling a story honestly, they're going to stop and listen to you. And it worked for over 50 years, 60 years, you know, worked beautifully. wasn't long, though, until she was introducing her own choices to the band, and one of her first is a, a very interesting one. It's Why Don't You Do Right, which is a little green tune, and was originally called the Weed Smoker's Dream, and uh, was later retitled with the Weed Smoker's Dream, parentheses, Why Don't You Do Now? Why Don't You Do Now? Why Don't You Smoke Weed Now? It was a song about marijuana. Why don't you do right? There's a little bit of a window into the secret of Peggy's power in that choice. You get a sense of hidden potential that anything could happen in Peggy's singing. Beneath this very kind of cool Scandinavian veneer. Get out of here Many people have thought that I wrote Why Don't You Do Right. It was written by Lil Green. I used to play it constantly. And uh, Benny's dressing room was next to mine. And it drove him up the wall. And he said, would you like to uh, sing that song and get it out of your mind? And I said, I'd love to. So they had an arrangement made. And it didn't make any big splash. Then time went on, about two years, and we were told there was to be a record strike. So Benny recorded everything that he had in his books, and that included Why Don't You Do Right? They uh, put out everything that he recorded, I think Why Don't You Do Right was about the last thing. They were at the bottom of the barrel, and it was an instant hit. I fell for you jiving, and I took you in. Now all you got to offer me is a drink of gin. Why don't you do right? 
like some other men do. Get out of here and get me some money too. Why don't you do right like some other men do? He had turned the corner and wound up right in the middle of the swing era with the country's swingingest band. The music everywhere in her, all around her, is swing. You know, every radio station is playing swing. There are not just dozens and not just hundreds, but there are thousands of swing bands. Every time you go dancing, every time you turn on a radio, every time you walk down the street, you're hearing swing. Swing was in the bones of these singers. Benny Goodman came in at a time in American music development that really influenced dance enormously. Because if you look at any of the historical events surrounding Benny Goodman, you see not only did it create people's desire to want to dance because of the rhythm and the infectiousness of the music, but it even inflect, affected styles. When Benny worked at the starlight roof of the Waldorf Astoria or in a fabulous hotel, you'd see women in gorgeous gowns and men in, in formal clothes so that his orchestra did a tremendous amount to influence the social scene in America. And in addition to Benny's wonderful rhythms, when Peggy would get up to sing and people were on the dance floor, this was so romantic that many a time a man would propose to a young woman or whisper in her ear because of what Peggy made them feel through the sound, sultry sounds of her voice. How deep is the ocean? How It's a quality that jazz musicians call having good time. And I don't know whether you get it from singing dance rhythms or not, because lots of people have sung dance rhythms and don't have it. What time really means, it's very, very hard to explain. And it doesn't just apply to jazz or dance music. Glenn Gould had phenomenal time. And it doesn't mean you stay strictly on it, because Nat Cole played games with it. He'd be in advance of it, he'd be behind it, but he always knew where it was and you could always feel where it was. Peggy seems to have had since day one. She told me once that, um, that when she was a kid in school and they had these little kid rhythm bands, she could always keep good time and she couldn't understand why the other kids couldn't do it. She started singing when she was on the farm. When she was a little girl, she would sing to the chickens. She would listen at night on their radio, their crystal set. She could listen to Count Basie from Kansas City. So she knew about jazz from the time she was a child.
It's just like anything else. Music is infectious, and it made her possibly want to uh, swing with the guys. It would be inspirational. And don't forget, Benny was so special in his and with the arrangements he picked up. And Benny playing for dancing was exciting for Peggy because there she was. She'd have a built-in audience every night. She would watch the people dance and get involved in what they were doing and watching the couples themselves. And then, at other times, she was oblivious to them dancing and was totally involved, lost in the song itself. And it could have been an empty room. It was just singing and performing, you know. I mean, you can only see so far when the lights hit you. So you can only, you can only actually physically see so many people. And after that, it's just sort of a, a darkness. And um, so if you look out a certain distance, you're singing to great unknown, you know, and um, so sometimes she was just singing to the world, but sometimes you get, she would get into the actual people dancing and watching them have fun, and that was neat too. Peggy was developing her talent and her confidence was growing. What began as a great honor for a young singer became a profession, and she started to see her own potential beyond her role in the band, even if it was the great Benny Goodman's band. Peggy was also a woman, and despite Goodman's strict policy of absolutely no romance on the road between band members, as her daughter Nikki tells us, she fell for guitarist Dave Barber. Well, she grew stronger. He was a very strong individual. You know, she was able to stand up for herself a little. I mean, she was able then to say, I'd like to do this song or, you know, let's do this or that. But when push came to shove and she and my father fell in love, there was no changing the rules. They were not allowed to be together and they couldn't get married. So, they quit. When Sinatra left Dorsey, it was because he had grander ambitions. When Peggy Lee left Goodman, it was because she was pursuing what she thought as a woman should be the ultimate goal for her, which was to be a proper mother and wife. I think she really had stars in her eyes about having a little house. And to her credit, you know, again, I think her music could not lay fallow too long. And that was what she and Barber 
started writing songs together. You know, she'd just find herself singing around the house, and he just picked up on these little nuggets of hers because they were really good. So that was really the beginning of her songwriting career while she was kind of a young mother and very much wanting to stay at home. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know where. Peggy did stay at home for a while, but her partnership with Dave Barber and the songs they wrote together led to her comeback and subsequent fast track to superstardom. And when she came back, she showed that she was able to be not just a mom and a wife and a singer, but God, Peggy Lee can do anything. She was a composer, an absolutely top shelf lyricist. She was a, a businesswoman, a, a, a renaissance person. Growing up, it had its pros and cons, but now I have a much deeper appreciation being her daughter than I ever did before. My daughter and I are working to carry the torch, and we're delighted that there are so many people that are still really interested. We want to see that interest grow and grow that her memory is still alive. That's very important to us. It's also important to millions of music lovers everywhere who will continue to enjoy her artistry as long as recordings exist and people have ears. Thanks to tonight's guests, Nikki Lee Foster, Phoebe Jacobs, Wilfried Wald, David Haydu, Stephanie stein Kreese, and Jean Lees. And thanks to my producer, Elizabeth Clark, for being so upfront with me. Next week, I'm up front of the Basie Band with legendary blues shouter Jimmy Rushing. So make sure you're rushing to be here same time next week on Radio 2 for Up Front with Richard Niles. (laughs) 